0: everyone to a brand new edition of The Other Side of Midnight. I'm your guest host, Laura London, and tonight I'll be speaking with none other than the man himself, the living legend, Richard C. Hoagland. It's been a while since we've heard from Richard and a lot has been happening during his absence. So tonight we've decided to turn the tables and have Richard on as the guest. I'll be leading the conversation for the first two hours, and in the third hour, we'll be taking your calls. The call-in number is 917-889-8802. Write it down now, 917-889-8802. I know some of you out there have questions for Richard, and this is your opportunity to ask. So don't post those questions on my Facebook page. I deleted all of them. Just call in and ask yourself. Those aren't my questions. Those are your questions. So please do call in and ask. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. So enough from me. Richard C. Hoagland is the principal investigator and founder of the Enterprise Mission, as well as the vision and the voice of The Other Side of Midnight. He is the recipient of the Engstrom Medal, the former science advisor to CBS News and Walter Cronkite, and author of the best-selling books, The Monuments of Mars, and Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA. Together with Carl Sagan, Mr. Hoagland co-created the Pioneer Plaque and predicted life on Europa in his groundbreaking paper, The Europa Proposal published 37 years before NASA's announcement. His vision has inspired a whole new generation of pioneers of thought and form and opened the way for citizen scientists around the globe. His work is emulated by cutting-edge thinkers around the world. He is a thought leader and pioneer, breaking the bonds of stagnant, archaic scientific models. His willingness to challenge the accepted norm has blazed a path for thousands of citizen explorers. He has a way of drilling down to the fundamental question that provokes the unexpected revelation. Mr. Hoagland, welcome to the other side of midnight.
1: This seems so strange I
0: know <laughs> I know,
1: doesn't it? Good morning or good evening, Flora. Um not from the land of enchantment, season. yeah. 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 It, it, it it has been a while. First of all, I wanna thank everybody, uh, you included, who has taken over and done yeoman service in my absence. I I have not wanted to be absent, but when you lose someone like Robin and it still is very hard for me to say those words, it it really is a kick in the gut. I mean, we had planned we planned a long life to do things
0: and yeah. Anyway. I know. I'm sure it's been tough and we've all been thinking about you and praying for you and uh, can't imagine the amount of grief you must be still feeling. And um, so it's really good to hear your voice. I know a lot of people have missed you. Everybody understands um, that you've needed to take some time off. So we thought we'd do some catching up with you here tonight. And we've got a lot to cover. There's been so much happening in the news lately. We have a whole list of items in the radio with pictures section. And listeners can get there by going to the website, theothersideofmidnight.com. Please make sure that you put the word the in there. So it's theothersideofmidnight.com. When you get to the main page, you need to click on the banner. Which says a deep conversation with Richard C. Hoagland. That will take you to tonight's show page. And when you're there, you scroll down, scroll down past all the text, unless, of course, you need that information. And you'll eventually come to a section called Radio with Pictures. Uh, There are show items. Uh, My items are stories that we're going to be talking about. There are links and if you scroll all the way through there are 11 items there uh richard has an item a news item that a story came out today in the new york times so we're going to be talking about that and we, so since we have a lot to cover richard where do you think you'd like to start first
1: come on you're the host where do you want to I'm begin i'm the
0: host well <laughs>
1: You have the chair tonight. Come on. There
0: is an overwhelming amount of information. And, uh, you know, there's so much in the news about UFOs, um, the new mission to Mars, uh, mission to the moon, soft disclosure that's currently taking place. Um, There's these new leaked documents. There's also the Apollo 11 anniversary that's coming up. Uh, next month. It's the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing. Uh, I was at Cape Canaveral the beginning of this month. I thought we might talk a little bit about that. So where where do you want to to dive in? Uh, Well, let's just talk briefly about my visit to Cape Canaveral because I'd like to hear your thoughts. I hadn't been there in three and a half years. I don't know when the last time you were there.
1: Oh, my God, more like maybe 15, 20, something like that.
0: Okay. Well, I was a little stunned because of how much it had changed. I think that the first thing that you notice when you make that left-hand turn into the Kennedy Space Center to get to the Visitor Center is the big Blue Origin building there on the Mm. left. So that wasn't there in 2000, I was there in, I think I was there on New Year's Day in, in uh, 2016. Not only was that not there, it's there now. And next to it, they're doing construction on their uh, rocket manufacturing facility. So that was very noticeable. And then there's just so, there's just so much private industry that has moved into uh, that to, to Cape Canaveral, that whole which which is conflict. as it,
1: as as it should be because when I was you know working with CBS and when I was doing freelance stuff and I I did a stint with CNN for a while and I was at the Cape a lot. Um, mm-hmm. The only major change that we noticed in those years, <clears throat> in, initially it was NASA, and it was it was government, it was nonprofit, it was uh, you know the space agency, and then. Toward the the beginning of the shuttle program after Apollo, Mm -hmm. the thing that we noticed were all the Marine guards with their M-16s and the German Shepherds. And there was a real kind of visual military takeover, even of the civilian, the NASA side of the Cape. And when when you had to go anywhere, you had passes, you had locked gates, you had guys standing around with guns. That was a very major change from during the Apollo era. But now, of course, you know, things are moving in the commercial direction, which is, I mean, it's it's, it's well overdue. It's about time. And so I imagine uh, that there's an awful lot of, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and right. a whole bunch of others. And there's this whole push to make Florida and space activities a commercial center for commerce and jobs. You know, when NASA laid off a lot of people from the shuttle program, there was a huge hit to Merritt Island and to central Florida because an awful lot of people worked for NASA. And then when the shuttle program was quietly spun down, a la George Bush, people, by the way, mistake that it was Obama who did that. No, it was Mm -hmm. George Bush because they basically were terrified that there'd be another shuttle accident and we'd lose more astronauts. So they basically retired what was inherently a, a, a very unsafe vehicle, and there was this gap, which is now being filled in terms of employment and in terms of commerce by the commercial sector. So I'm very pleased to hear that you saw real transformations because yeah. that's what's going to sustain the space program into the future or as far as uh, we, can, we can project.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we hear a lot about SpaceX and their presence is is huge there. They've leased pad uh, 39, which is 39A and 39B. They have a 20 year lease and that's the pad, you know, everybody, every man that's ever left Earth to walk on the moon left from pad 39A and spacex has taken it over it was recently painted black so it just i i know i keep mentioning that but it looks different i'm so used Mm. to seeing it it was orange during the apollo era and then it was gray and now it's painted black and there's the big spacex building next to it and and boeing so boeing's there spacex and blue origin now and I took the early space tour, which takes you back onto the air force base to the Cape Canaveral air force base. And there's a little museum there. And that's where all of the Atlas rocket launches were. And, and, uh, the, the mercury, um, the the mercury rockets that carried one person, you know, John Glenn, Alan Shepard, all of those launches took place back there. And, a lot, there's a lot of construction going on. The tour guides would say, we're not allowed down that road. We're not allowed <laughs> allowed down that road. And I thought, well, that made me want to see more what was going on. And it's because it's, it's not open to the public. You know, it's private, it's private now. They're, we're not allowed to know what they're doing. And no, wait,
1: wait. this is on the Air Force side of the Cape. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's always going to be military and secret. I mean, that's not you no know, no no big mystery there. But the thing but that Blue, I'm in,
0: go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say that Blue Origin took over. I'm looking here, which pad they took over, and that's on the Air Force side. I thought that that was unusual. Hmm. Is is that possible?
1: Well, they can carve out anything and provide you know fences and and security and all that. I mean, to me. Since space really, to go anywhere, has got to become commercial. It's got to make money for somebody Mm -hmm. so the American taxpayer doesn't support it. And even more important, I mean the amount of money that NASA spends in total is 0.5%, half a percent of the federal budget. If you take a dollar and you represent that as the whole federal budget, NASA would be taking a penny and cutting it in half. So NASA spends nothing compared to the DoD and to you know the the uh, health and human services and you know the so-called entitlement programs and all that. It spends nothing. So if we're going to make progress in space, somebody's got to spend the money.
2: Right. So the
1: fact that we've got Musk with his incredible, innovative, returning boosters to the uh, Cape, I mean, those uh, we're going to, by the way, have another uh, launching of the Falcon Heavy tomorrow. I don't know. The exact time, but sometime tomorrow on Monday, the 24th, he's going to launch a multiple series of payloads, including the new uh, uh, Planetary Society Solar Sail number two,
2: mm-hmm. and they're all
1: going to leave from the Cape, from uh, Launch Pad 39A, um, and our, we're going to have this spectacular television drama of the boosters, the two, uh, you know, side boosters flying back to the Cape and landing. All by themselves, remote control, and then the, um, the central core booster landing on the um, uh, drone ship. Uh, of course, I still love you somewhere downrange. I mean these were things that were unimagined when I was wandering yeah. around the Cape. So yeah. it's moving in the right direction because without the commercialization of space, we're not going to be able to go because the politics – it's not so much the money. It's the politics of Washington are so broken. I mean, look at how the president has tried through Bridenstine, the current head of NASA, to get a measly 1.6 billion to start the the uh, the Artemis program, so we can go back to the moon in five years. And the Democrats, of course, consistently are going to re- repel anything Trump proposes. You know, forget the national interest. Forget that going to the moon again is really important for big, big t- picture items. You know, deep, deep time you know insights as to who we are and where we're going and all that they're stuck in this petty squabble business so i'm looking to the private sector to musk and to bezos and to a bunch of other guys to basically take over space so that we have access because i don't see nasa politically stuck between you know democrats and republicans certainly under this administration being able to do anything of of real merit unless there's some kind of behind the scenes breakthrough so that's one of the things I'm looking for. Do they get the briefing? You know, their public stance is, oh, nothing Trump wants, we're going to give him. Do they get the briefing, and suddenly they are going to approve quietly this 1.6 billion, so that the Artemis program can be on schedule.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, just for everybody, that SpaceX launch is Monday night at 11:30 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a night launch. Monday night, 11:30 p.m. Eastern.
1: Yeah. Did, I, did I say tomorrow?
0: Yeah, that's okay.
1: Oh. See, I'm right. thinking okay. I'm, I'm already into Sunday, so you know.
0: mm-hmm.
1: anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's Monday, the
0: 24th. Well, and also about um, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, I find it very interesting that two of the top 20 richest people in the world are interested in this.
1: And both of them apparently have been interested for a very, very, yeah. very long time. Yeah. I went and saw some kind of a profile on Bezos the other day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and I think it was before he appeared with Carolyn Kennedy at the um, uh, Kennedy Library up there in Boston, which we're going to talk about in a little while. Yeah. But it turns out that his whole commercial, entrepreneurial, you know mega billionaire persona comes from a deep drive to go to space. Yeah. The same thing with Musk, yeah. you know, his whole thing with the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, PayPal and all that. It was just a prelude to get to the thing he really wanted to do, which is to get human beings off Earth. So I find it interesting that we have two missionaries mm-hmm. whose making of money is kind of like a sideline for what they want to use the money for which I find an incredibly positive development that we basically have two wonderful space cadets who are leading the way with innovation and entrepreneurship and the uh, you know, good old American you know, can-do spirit. And they're the ones who are making incredible history while NASA is again languishing in the political backwaters of fights between Republicans and Democrats.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I I did watch that uh fireside chat between Jeff Bezos and and Caroline Kennedy and Bezos said just he was very blunt about it. He said his high school girlfriend says that he started Amazon just so that he could do blue origin.
1: See? And yeah. Now, so, let me let me give you a pop quiz. Okay. I know he touched on this in that in that little chat. Mm-hmm. Do you know the origin of the name Blue Origins? They
0: Caroline asked him about that and it's interesting because I wondered that too because that building at the cape is very striking and the feather is the their logo and they have a gorgeous website that has all of their rockets and moonlander uh photos and they have the feather Uh, next to the name Blue Origin, and I don't think the feather, I didn't think that the feather had anything to do with the name, Um, but they, she asked him about it, and I don't know, it, it didn't seem like a full answer to me.
1: What did, what did he say? I don't remember.
0: He said that the earth is known as the blue planet, and that everything that blue origin was going to be sending into space was originating from earth. So it's the blue origin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's, let's where go the, beneath where, that.
1: Where, where does the feather come in?
0: I don't know. He didn't mention the feather. Nobody has mentioned the feather. I just noticed it on the rockets.
1: Hmm. Did
0: you see the feather?
1: Well, I've you know, seen it, but it's a kind of subliminal. I haven't really paid much attention. When he first came out with this, which was many years ago,
2: mm-hmm. my
1: first thought was, okay, we're in the realm of symbology. Remember, Musk took over pad 39A.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are two Apollo launch pads from the Apollo program whose symbolic emblem – remember remember the patch design? The the, the the mission patch design for the Apollo program yeah. was Orion.
2: Yes okay, yes. I just which saw means
1: that. when you bring up Orion, you bring up the triumvirate, you know Orion, which is really Osiris, Isis, and Horus. We're dealing with ancient Egyptian gods, and we're also dealing with nineteen point five because if you take thirty nine remember divide thirty nine by two, you get nineteen point
2: five
1: you've got thirty nine a and thirty nine b yeah. And they landed, as we have calculated and published for many, many years now, all these Apollo missions at variance of 19.5 on the moon, either in terms of latitude, in terms of timing, et cetera, et cetera. So there's deep, deep symbology continuing beyond the NASA program embedded in Musk program. And by metonymy, I would think, and I have thought for a long time, that the same symbology the same deep connection to an ancient egyptian religion was underlying jeff bezos so when he announced blue origins my take on it was blue origins is really named after the blue star sirius which in certain esoteric traditions is the origin of the human family on earth currently having nothing to do with earth as a primary source having to do with the star that's part of the Osiris, Orion, Triumvirate.
0: You know what also, I'm looking at my notes right now because my memory is pretty much shot. I wrote, he named it Blue Origin because the Earth is a blue planet and we have to save it. That was another one. We get to the JFK Space Summit. That was another one of the recurring themes is their concern about the Earth. But here's another thing Bezos said about the name Blue Origin. He said, this is the good planet. This is the only good one," he said. Hmm. "We have been small and the planet has been big, okay, right? We've been small and the planet was big. He said that's not true anymore, but I have it in bold and in red. The notes that I took. This is the good planet. This is the hmm. only good one.
1: Well, well so you can we... mean several different ways, can't
0: you? Yeah, yeah. But that was in his answer to why did you name your company Blue Origin? This is the Hmm. only good planet?
1: Hmm. Well, all right. The one way you can read it is you know, it's the only one we know where we can live and support life and et cetera, et cetera. We're going to look at others, but none of them are occupiable without a tremendous amount of technology. That's a kind of a given. But the idea of bringing in the concept of good and bad, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of strange. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if Jeff is thinking that Mars, <clears throat> the planet of war, is bad.
2: Yeah. Or mm.
1: something bad
2: happened there. Mm. True.
0: They did talk quite a bit about Mars during the space summit. So, but we're jumping ahead here. Um, a, back to the Cape. So, didn't Werner von Braun make a prediction about space exploration having to be commercial.
2: Do you recall that?
1: A long time ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm not quite sure in what context. I mean, mm-hmm. we've known for a long time that space could not be solely a government operation, that there had to be, like like with any new frontier. Remember the, the analogy was the opening of the West and Manifest Destiny and all that. And you had you had government programs. Remember, during the Civil War, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln you know, greenlighted the railroads from east to west coast. During the height of the Civil War, the government undertook a project to basically pay again private enterprise to build railroads to connect the two coasts of the United States. And I remember at one time one of my friends, uh, science fiction friends who wrote a lot of very interesting sci-fi, his name was G. Harry Stein. He said before the railroads, you know, the transcontinental railway. The United States was impossible. After the transcontinental railway, the United States was inevitable. Mm. And the mm. same philosophy, without commercial private enterprise, taking us into space, going places where government can't go or it's too uh, politically contentious for it to go. I mean, without Bezos and without Musk. We would not be on the verge of stunning dis- discoveries and developments because, as you know, when you have a single source of information a la NASA, they only, according to the charter, have to tell you what they want to tell you. And I am looking forward immensely to the day when we, the Enterprise Mission, can send its own unmanned robotic mission into space, to the moon, to Mars to amazing places because the technology is almost there, and obviously we will then be able to circumvent the filters and show folks what is out there that I've been talking about for decades that NASA has deigned not to talk about.
0: Well, are they under any – they being Bezos and and Musk – are they under any NASA umbrella because they're in and out of NASA property? I mean, do they just have free reign because they're leasing the property? They're leasing the launch pad? They could do whatever they want? Well, we are don't regulations?
1: know. We, we we don't know, do we? Um, when when he launched the first Falcon Heavy and put the Red Roadster into orbit right. on a mission that took it past the orbit of Mars, it's in this huge, long, very years-long elliptical orbit that doesn't go to Mars but goes past the orbit of Mars. One of the things I was looking for, because they went past the moon to kind of make the left-hand turn to get into the right solar orbit, I was looking forward to that, you know, um, um, you know, a roadster cam. They had a couple on the on the upper stage with the roadster taking pictures, and you could see the roadster and Starman, you know, the mannequin sitting in the driver's seat, right. and then the Earth behind it. In fact, we had it up on our website for for several weeks um i was hoping they would get close enough to the moon to give us uncensored images but they didn't now you can imagine with people like musk and bezos to get the, the sweetheart deals they've got there's there must be some kind of an agreement
2: right. where you
1: will not you know give the game away and remember a few years ago musk had said he was going to have a tourist or two tourists on a a spacecraft on the top of the Falcon Heavy uh, do a loop around the moon, a kind of very expensive, you know, tourist paid millions of dollars to go and not land on the moon, but do a loop Mm -hmm. around the moon and come back home. And now that has been delayed till 2022, 23, 24, somewhere in that timeframe. And again, I think that's a political mandated decision based on the fact that if you take uncensored cameras and you get anywhere really close to the moon, you're going to see all kinds of stuff. And as a tease for the show we're going to do on the weekend, because we've got both weekends, we've got July 20th, the anniversary Mm
2: -hmm. of Apollo
1: 11, and July 21st, which is the anniversary of when the astronauts left the moon in Apollo 11. We're going to do really exciting things on the other side of midnight on those two nights. Laura is going to be part of it. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to tease now, we're going to show you some unbelievable pictures, not taken by any space agency, but by a private consortium, a private individual, shot – I'm not going to tell you yet how they were shot, but they're going to blow your socks off because we can see in color the structures on the moon on this data that has come to us through a private source. And that's all I'm going to say. On the 50th anniversary, the half-century anniversary of Apollo 11, we're going to show you that the moon is not a dead, ancient place that never had anyone on it. We're actually are going to show you astonishing imagery of structures in color that have been photographed in the last year or so.
0: Structures?
1: Structures. Unmistakable Structures on the moon
0: photos that you've been given access to
1: mm-hmm. and we work with them and they're real and we're in in the process of seeking to duplicate them because some of this can be done from earth uh, it turns out you just have to have the right technology and the right computer processing and know what you're doing but you can see some of this stuff from earth as i kind of uh, previewed in the um uh in one of my books you know the uh dark mission, uh, book where I actually had work from three amateurs, three very sophisticated high-end amateur astronomers who have photograph structures on the moon that they themselves don't seem to know are on their own photographs.
0: And we're going to be seeing these photos next month.
1: Next month on the anniversary of Apollo 11.
0: And you'll share them here on the website.
1: On the website and radio with pictures. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's something to look forward to. Uh, When
1: we get back from the break,
0: I'd like to talk a little bit more about the upcoming anniversary of Apollo 11. It is getting a lot of press. So I am your guest host, Laura London, and tonight we're having a deep conversation with Richard C. Hoagland on the other side of midnight. We'll be right back.
3: Membership costs $9.95 a month,
2: 33 cents
3: a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com
0: with our guest for tonight, Richard C. Hoagland. I'm your guest host, Laura London. Richard, before we went to the break, we were talking about the upcoming 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, which was the first time man had set foot on the moon, at least in the modern era. And I just wanted to mention briefly, I've been making a list of all of the upcoming events Uh, for the anniversary. And the list is just getting longer and longer. And it starts actually tomorrow night. CNN is going to be airing the new documentary film Apollo 11 that was released, I think it was back in March, it was available um, only in IMAX theaters. And so I saw that and it is I think 11,000, they had found 11,000 hours of footage. And the great part of this film is that it's not narrated. There's no, there are no actors. There are no interviews. It's just footage of that day. Wow. Like it
1: was there when we were there.
0: And yeah. And uh, it's, it was huge. And well, it, because it was an IMAX, and that's why I was really surprised to see that CNN's going to be airing it. They're airing it twice uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern and then again at 11 p.m. Eastern. So that is tomorrow night. Look for it. Uh, it's called Apollo 11. And then I already
1: have it bookmarked in my TBR. It's going to record whether I'm yeah. here or somewhere else.
0: Yep, yeah, me too. Uh, and then PBS has a three-night mini series called Chasing the Moon. Um, there is, obviously, uh, at, at Cape Canaveral, there are um, a, a lot of events. There's a gala um, that's sold out. I think I have it here. It, I think the, the cheapest ticket was $1,500 because, obviously, I wanted to go. The cheapest ticket was $1,500, and it is sold out. Um, That's on July 16th. Um, That's the Aldrin Family Foundation putting on a dinner and an after show and then a VIP breakfast the next day. So they're doing a lot. Um,
1: Yeah, that's the anniversary of when when Apollo 11 left the Cape, you know, that morning. The uh, 16th, yeah. to, to, To leave for the moon, right. And that's another interesting set of anniversaries. I mean, NASA has been doing this symbolic stuff forever, but nobody except us apparently has ever noticed. Remember what July 16th is also the anniversary for? No. The test here in New Mexico in 1945 with the oh.
0: first atomic bomb. Trinity test site.
1: Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yep. Mm-hmm. I forgot
0: about that. July Did you 16th.
1: pick up any green glass?
0: I did not. Oh, I didn't don't. even get out of the car. Why? Well, I don't know. This was a long time ago. Have you been there?
1: Uh, Robin's son Michael went down. I mm-hmm. haven't been to, to that part of the White Sands Proving Ground, but he, he went down on a school trip and he brought oh, back some green glass. Really? Which is somewhere around here. I don't know where it is. Yeah.
0: It's kind of creepy. I mean, it Trinitite.
1: Is- Trinitite. That was the name of it. Oh. But,
2: is-
1: well, because when you detonate an atomic bomb, it fuses yeah. the sands of the desert and mixes stuff together so they You know, and the radioactivity has long since gone away, so it's safe to handle. But it's a it's a material that, up until the atomic bombs, at least the modern ones, uh, were banged off, uh, never existed on the planet.
0: Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Green glass.
2: Well,
1: they also found some some years ago in the Sahara Desert, which is where some of the uh, shall we say alternative writers who've been looking at the possibility that we're not the first high-tech civilization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a somewhere in India, somewhere around Maj and then in the Sahara, there are these craters that appear to echo in physics, in the actual, you know, ruin in the actual, you know, geology, the, uh, the myths in the, uh, Bhagavad Gita, uh, or and the mahabhagita um, echoing the idea of an ancient, ancient atomic war in the right. Indian mythologies, the, uh, the, the Vedas. So, you know, you didn't get out of the car at White Sands. That's, that's awful.
0: Not at the Trinity test site. No, I was, I was very anti-nuclear weapons back then. Um, but White Sands is beautiful. I, I love it there. It's, to me, it's, it kind of looked like you're walking on another planet.
1: Well, it's the same um, geology. It's just it's kind of like next door. So, but you well, you had a you you had a moral thing. Well, why did you if you if you had a moral thing about nuclear weapons, why did you go to the Trinity site? I
0: w- was <laughs> yes, I was there to go to White Sands, which is this the the sand there is white, and it is very fine, um, as Neil Armstrong would say, almost like a powder, and. Mm-hmm.
1: And, gypsum. Gypsum, yeah.
0: And you – yeah, you can walk around at night, and they recommend you walk barefoot. And it oh. was – it was one of the most enjoyable times I've ever had, walking around White Sands barefoot. And I haven't been there in a long time, but – uh, Was it a
1: moonlit night?
0: It was a moonlit night, actually. Oh, wow. I, I Now that I think about it, I think they opened the park on the full moon – and you can walk around and there are these bugs that I didn't know till the next day. They're called walking sticks. Oh, it yeah. Looks, I've seen them. Oh yeah, a stick with legs and so every
1: once in a while I'll have one that's come and sit on my windows on, on the on the screens between me and the Sandia Mountains.
0: They're in New Mexico, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't realize that they were walking around uh, at night when when I was there. <laughs> and then when I found out the next day, I wasn't happy Runs about
1: that. your barefoot toes. <laughs> yes,
0: kind of ruined it for me. Oh. Anyway, so, right. So back to the upcoming events. I just want to finish this. Uh, also, the Space Center in Houston is having their own thing going on. And they are having dinner with Apollo-era astronauts, their children, their families of of the astronauts and the flight controllers, Um, and there's a new film coming out about Neil Armstrong. It's called Armstrong, and I think I was on your show here uh, last year talking about First Man because his name slips my mind. The writer of the book, First Man, that was made into the movie, Mm. he was here in Chicago at the Adler Planetarium, and I went and I attended his lecture and his book signing, and um, I didn't care for that movie very much. Did you see First Man?
1: No. No, I haven't. Yeah,
0: it was was not what I was expecting. I, I heard a lot of people say that. It was kind of a dim, dark view of the inner world of Neil Armstrong. It wasn't very insightful. Um, but Keith Haviland, who is the owner of Haviland digital, he produced Armstrong and he also produced last Man on the moon. James Hansen.
1: James James
0: Hansen. Hansen. Yes.
1: See Google is your friend.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. James Hansen, um, wrote the book that was made into the movie and they spent years on that movie Years. So I had very high hopes for it. I uh, thought it was very bad, very badly done. So I think Armstrong is everything that we want it to be. It was done with the cooperation of Neil Armstrong's sons. Neil Armstrong, of course, passed away in 2012. And that film is premiering at the Space Center Houston on July 18th. It is going to be available on iTunes. I think it's available now for pre-order. So I'm really looking forward to that. The trailer is available online. That is full of interviews with um, the moonwalkers that are still alive today and some of the flight controllers. Also, uh, the U.S. Postal Service is going to be issuing a first moon landing forever stamp on July 19th. And they're unveiling it at the Kennedy Space Center uh, that day at 11 o'clock in the morning. And what else is happening? Uh, There's a concert. uh, There's a space fest at the JFK Presidential Library that we were just talking about on July 20th um, with special NASA guest speakers, inventors, engineers, engineers. That's an all-day event, July 20th. And then on the 24th, which is the anniversary of the Splashdown, they're having a Welcome Home Apollo 11 50 Years Later event at the Kennedy Space Center in the Rocket Garden. That's all I have on the list for upcoming events. There are going to be a lot of TV specials that I'm looking forward to because that's kind of my thing. I love documentaries about the Apollo missions. But you had mentioned the original Apollo logo. And when I said that I had just seen it on the side of the Saturn V building at the Kennedy Space Center, which Mm -hmm. is the enormous building that they are redoing. And that's where I got to see the Saturn V rocket, uh, which is kind of hanging from the ceiling isn't uh, it
1: incredibly awe-inspiring
0: the, it's it's just the back end that i love what i call the business end where the five engines are those engines are so enormous i don't think that people realize how
1: there's a picture somewhere uh, i think in black and white of von braun
0: yes <clears throat> i have it
1: standing next to the yep. uh f1 engines the the uh the S1C which is the first stage of the Saturn V uh, engine cluster and he is he's dwarfed
0: right.
1: by the magnitude of these engines. Yeah, and he's a tall man. Yeah. No, he was he's a big guy. Him. Yeah. I met him I, I met him a couple times, once mm-hmm. at JPL and once at uh, Fairchild. Um was it Fairchild? Oh, no, it was NASA headquarters. And yeah, he was a very big guy.
2: Mhm.
0: So they, there's also a LEM in that building, which was hanging from the ceiling as well, and they just brought it down uh, for the anniversary, but um, that exhibit wasn't open yet, and it was behind uh, a tarp, so they let us peek in, but uh, yeah, yeah, that that original Apollo logo is on the side of that building, and it's it also is in the movie Apollo 13. Uh, which is it was totally staged the way they two people had a conversation in front of it so and you don't see it too often i have some no, t-shirts no. with with that on there
1: and do you notice that they had a white guy and a black guy having the conversation in front of it
0: oh no remember that i don't
1: yeah, yeah, the so NASA, you know the PR scene person, that i'm talking oh, about oh vividly vividly because i went ah You know, uh, when when that came on the screen, because, again, we were the only ones to decode first the meaning of that logo, that that mission patch. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of NASA is symbolic, and it's interesting that these private guys are taking the symbology and extending it without, again, telling anybody what's really going on. You know, Emily Dickinson rules the space program. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant.
0: Well, what I'm looking forward to is Farouk El-Baz is coming out with a book. Oh, he is. Tell everybody who Farouk El-Baz is.
1: Farouk El-Baz is an Egyptian who became the kind of mentor. They called him, uh, apropos of Egyptian pharaohs, the astronaut corps called him the king. (laughs) He was hired by Belcom, which was the subcontracted private enterprise group uh, from a t and t you know bell Bell Labs Bell communications mm-hmm. um, they picked the landing sites, and El Baz ran that, and he briefed the astronauts in that position and of course, the landing sites are all symbolic and all geometric and intimately connected to nineteen point five and all that business. Um, he would tease for years this is El Baz mm-hmm. after the Apollo landings in uh, Argosy and Men's Saga stories and these out of the way, you know, print publications. He would tease the fact that there were things found out about the moon that the general public didn't know about. One wonders if, in his book, he's finally come to the fork in the road where it's time to tell the truth.
0: I hope so. So I recently saw him on C-SPAN-3, he was speaking at the National Air and Space Museum, and he was introduced by... On oh,
1: Independence Avenue there in Washington. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah, by uh, the director of... Just the by the way, Museum. across
1: the courtyard from the old NASA headquarters.
0: Okay. You know, they built a new NASA headquarters building, or I think it's still being built, uh, a new administration building. At the Cape and during the tour, the tour guide said, yes, it's going to be seven stories high. Each floor is going to symbolize one of the planets in our solar system. Seven
1: tetrahedral stories?
0: That's what I thought. And then she had to add in there, right, a dig, a knife in my heart. She said, you know, Pluto's not a planet anymore. So seven planets,
1: I know. You know that's going to change. I hope so. You know that's going to change now. Without giving anything away, um, someone that we know has been in conversation with Alan Stern, <laughs> who is the principal investigator of the New Horizon mission to Pluto, and I have it on good authority that Alan has agreed to come yeah. on this show. On the other side of midnight, sometime in the fall, Mm -hmm. it'd be be nice to get an email confirming that. This is kind of through the grapevine. But, of course, you know that the reason for my telling this is Alan Stern, who's a major part of NASA with the Pluto mission, as devoutly as I believe, uh, says categorically that Pluto is obviously a planet. So, obviously.
0: Yes, and he was very adamant about that when I saw him. Here in Chicago, uh, and but that NASA, that new NASA administration building, only seven floors, only seven planets. So,
1: yeah, we well, anyway, you know that's another Emily Dickinson thing. Oh.
0: Where were we? So, as I glance at the clock, and it's eleven forty-seven. Uh, we were talking about Elbaz. Yes, I saw him on C-SPAN three. He was speaking at the National Air and Space Museum, and I was. I was kind of stunned. I didn't know he was out and about doing talks like that. Uh, he's recently retired from his position at Boston University, where he was the director of the Department of Remote Sensing. I don't know what he was doing in that position. Remote sensing, I, I don't know what that is.
1: Um, but- well, it's basically, you know, remember the the that department was, I think, one of the agencies that uh, was contacted by the Trump administration to look at satellite imagery and try to estimate how many people attended Trump's inaugural compared to Mm -hmm. Obama's inaugural. And, but remote sensing covers everything from, you know, taking infrared images of other planets to, and this planet, to taking visual images, you know, the whole Landsat series. Um, So remote sensing is a very important modern application of NASA technology, which has been growing in economic viability for the, for the culture you know, by leaps and bounds over the last several decades. Um, And, and Baz ran that department at the university. And now he is, uh, he is a private citizen again. Now, some people Mm -hmm. are wondering if remote viewing is connected to remote sensing. And the answer is no. No. Remote viewing is psychic determination by folks like at SRI, uh, sitting in a room, drawing sketches of things they're getting through mental, you know, apparitions or app, whatever the term is you want to use remote viewing and remote sensing are not related at all except both are done remotely.
2: Mm. Mhm. So that's uh,
0: that was interesting to hear him say that he's working on a book. Uh yeah. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that.
1: Well, all of these people have been waiting for permission. And remember, my model has been that the reason that we have not had NASA telling us the truth from the beginning is that it wasn't time, and now it's time. And you can see it in all kinds of little clues. I'm so tired of having to you know, navigate our way through the clues because I want people to just sit down in front of a camera and a microphone and say, this is what's out there. I think we're getting closer. We see all kinds of, again, more clues – more incredibly frustrating clues that we're getting closer. Now, let me let me tell you something else that I think is okay. interesting in this symbolic pathway. This is 2019, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So 2019, if you if you uh, you know multiply 19.5 by two, you get 39, right? Right. So so the July month of this year, actually it's June. Uh, is the is the halfway point in 2019. Mm. Scramble that all together. June is the beginning in this model of more and more and more overt disclosure.
0: Overt disclosure, like, like for instance. to yep,
1: like this, you know Emily Dickinson stuff. Tell all the truth, but tell it so you have to have you know a code map and a decoder ring and. You know, five uh five seances to figure out what they're trying to tell you.
0: You know though, Richard, I have to say it just I just don't know if people it's not that if it's not a question of are we ready for the truth. It's are we ever gonna be ready? The general public. Is the general public ever gonna be ready? Sure we are.
1: You know why? I, have you ever read Brookings? It's like you know there, 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 there are two questions that people are asking each other these days.
2: Okay. One is,
1: have you read the Mueller report? And obviously most people haven't. And the other, my question is, have you read the Brookings report? And most people haven't.
0: No, I have not in, read it start to in, finish.
1: Well, it's actually on the Enterprise Mission website. Just go to enterprisemission.com, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll find links to the actual Brookings document. Page after page, which I copied in, in GIF format, so we simply reproduced mm-hmm. the actual pages so people couldn't claim that I'd faked it or written it myself or that kind mm-hmm. of nonsense because our our, our 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 trolls have been very assiduous and very determined over decades to try to kill everything we're, we're looking at. If you read Brookings, there are sections, particularly in the footnotes, where it's specifically recommended to the 87th Congress that the people were not ready – you know what you just said, mm-hmm. but this is how they could be made ready. So in 1959, this document, which was commissioned at the best of the early NASA, the so-called Long Range Studies Committee, through the Eisenhower administration, which ran NASA before the handoff to Kennedy, to the Kennedy administration in 1960 uh, – 61, I'm sorry um, – They basically laid out a prescription for how to get people ready, and they're recommended in these footnotes, which, again, you can read on the Enterprise Mission website, a series of things that had to be done, production of radio, television, commercials, movies, all acculturating people to accept the idea that we are not alone, and then you had – if you look at mainstream pop culture – You've got Star Trek, you've got The Outer Limits, you've got Twilight Zone, you've got Star Wars, you've got infinite number of movies now, the uh, Marvel Comics universe.
2: Right.
1: People are so ready that when the officials, who they will have doubt believing because government has been so devalued as a source of, of truth and honesty and the American way – When government finally comes out and says they're out there, most people are going to say, so what? We knew that all along. And that was the objective of Brookings, make it dumb and stupid and trivial and boring and passé so when the truth comes out, people will not, as Art Bell used to tell me, riot in the streets. I think he really believed that. I think he believed that, that particularly he had it in for fundamentalist Christians. Mm-hmm. I can tell you from having lived among fundamentalist Christians all my life, give or take, that when this comes out, they will be in their bubble and they will incorporate it into their eschatology and their philosophy, and it won't make a ripple because it's accommodated mm-hmm. in the Bible. Remember where the the where the passage says, you know, and and God, you know, uh, Jesus says, and and you know, my, my kingdom is in in many mansions. Okay. That's easily interpretable as you know. There's other life other than here, elsewhere.
0: And also, we are becoming more and more tolerant of differences uh, amongst
1: amongst us. That's really, I mean, you, Laurie, hit it on the head. We are becoming, thank God, finally,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: far more tolerant of the other. Yes. And what's bad about the current political administration? Is they're trying to drive a wedge between the other and us. And that is a passing. I mean, to me, we're on the right side of history in that the other is going to be incorporated as it has never been before. And so, as part of the other, the idea that there's other members of the family out there, not just aliens, not just, you know, gray guys or whatever, you know, morphology that they will Mm -hmm. someday appear to us as. But the other is someone who does not live here on Earth. Well, that's interesting. But I think because of this incredible, deliberate, consciously produced uh, onslaught of films and television and every conceivable media production over the last 30 years, that by the time it finally gets to where they will tell us, people will go, Oh, I wonder what Kim Kardashian's doing tonight.
0: So you're saying the little old ladies, the the who walk around clutching their rosary, the the religious fundamentalists, like you said, because that was brought up on that TV show um unidentified inside America's UFO investigation.
2: Mm-hmm. That the argu-
0: that the argument is that in the Pentagon the fundamentalist Christians are the ones that were suppressing this information.
1: Well, and, the operative word, Laura, let me interrupt, Yeah, was was. was. Mm. I had a very good friend, like I still do, who lives on the West Coast, who's been in Berkeley, and he's a major university and professor. I haven't got him on the show yet. That's just an oversight. I'm going to try to get him soon. He reported to me and Robin one night an extraordinary experience he had at JPL because he was brought down to brief him on something. And somehow the subject of extraterrestrial, this is back in the 70s or 80s, of extraterrestrial life came up. And sitting at JPL in the conference room at the top of building 184, which is the only skyscraper that used to exist on the campus of JPL there in Pasadena, he was shocked by the fundamentalist religious resistance to his inadvertent dropping of some kind of evidence for the existence of extraterrestrial life. And he had fundamentalist Christians sitting in management positions at JPL, flatly pounding the table and saying this was impossible. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That was decades ago. That was then, and this is now. I will make a prediction that when it finally comes out, That we are not alone because of this decades of conscious, careful, redundant culturization, you know, preparing the the sod, preparing the fields so that the right plants can grow, that it will be assumed like, oh, I saw that in Star Trek.
0: Okay. I hope you're right. I mean, I wonder who determines when we're ready. Is how it, long
1: isn't that the question?
0: Yeah, how long does it, it take?
1: Show? Well, remember what happened just this afternoon, and which is my item down in Radio with Pictures. So what you want to do is you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. You want to click on the banner that says a deep conversation with Richard C Hoagland for tonight, the 22nd of June, um, and you want to scroll down when you get to that page. To my one lone little item at the very bottom, (laughs) after all of Laura's wonderful items. Curiosity rover finds gas levels on Mars hinting at possibility of life, screams the headlines in the New York Times for this today. That's not an accident. That's part of Brookings Acculturization. We're very, very close
0: okay hold on Richard we're going to do a quick break here I'm your guest host Laura London and tonight we're having a deep conversation with Richard C. Hoagland on the other side of midnight we'll be right back
4: Anybody in the alternative field, you can hear this all the time. You can see it in um, communications all the time with with the researchers. It's really tough to keep going, keep this stuff afloat. It's not mainstream yet, although it's getting there, and we'll talk about some of that tonight, but it is tough. And I want you guys out there, those new listeners that are coming in, those that are going to come throughout the night, which I will mention, is is to think about very much joining Club 19.5. Now, what it gives you access to is all of the broadcasts that Richard has done since I believe 2015 um, up until now, and there's been a few of us guest hosts that have come in and helped out when when we've you know when he's needed us you know etc. And that's not only that, but you get perks that we that we've started and we're going to do more just to keep it on the air. In Richard's case, he's a researcher and he comes in twice a week working on this show and right now he needs a bit of time for himself so that's one thing I want you to think about another one is the donate button it's on the homepage um, the other side of minutebikes.com it's on the homepage you can find it there please in your hearts think about a contribution whatever you can manage would be so helpful you can find the button also on each page on the left hand column Um, it's at the top and if you're using your phone you should be able to find that on your navigation